0: Talk about the game, Sam. So he cares about what people think about us? Yeah,
1: I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We're live on a Monday morning at our new time. Just to remind everybody... If you woke up at 7 a.m. Eastern looking for us, sorry. Mm. We're on off-season schedule time now. We're going at 9 a.m. every single Monday morning. So uh, throw a little reminder in the calendar. But we're live right now.
1: Yeah, we weren't there if you were were at 7.
0: We weren't there. But uh, we're good here. We're we're here now. And uh, today, breaking down my first mock draft, Sam, this is always a fun experience. People telling you how bad your mock draft is. Yeah. Is it the worst one ever? That's usually what it is. It's probably the worst one ever. I've got uh, already one comment that says it was a waste of time prior to free agency. Perfect. When I would, I would say, you know what? It's a good thought exercise. And you know what? I did it the way I like to do it too, which is here's what I would do. Here's what I would do in the draft. So I also have to put this out there. i got to put this disclaimer because every year I get entered into those mock draft accuracy contests. Yeah, this will put you on there right now. And rank last. Yeah. And I want no part. I'm not trying to predict the the draft. Somebody read my intro. I'm trying. No. It's a thought exercise.
1: People don't read anymore. People just see the article. They they find their entry.
0: And I'm over here getting maybe scan that. Yeah, and I'm over here getting dragged for my inaccuracy. I'm like, I'm putting people in the first round that I know aren't going in the first round, but are better players. And okay. if you look back, Elijah Molden last year was a top 32 player in this draft, and he should have been a first rounder. I was right. That's the only one. I remember. Anyway, the mock draft's live over at PFF.com. We're going to break it all down today. But first, a little uh, charity update, Sam. How you doing over there?
1: Uh, okay. It's, it, we've, we've stalled. We were raising some good money. Um, remember, my charity is raising money for sunsh- Sunshine Kids, once I can say it. Um, they, they raise money to do like activities for kids with cancer. So, like, things to just make those kids feel like kids, again, rather than just sitting there and going through the misery of cancer. Um, So a really worthwhile cause. If mine raises the most money, when we end this, I will recreate a Jackson Mahomes TikTok dance. And every time Tyler pulls up the video of those, I regret that decision more and more each day. I think this
0: is why it stalled. I think we've pulled out enough... Those are very Mahomes short shorts. Mahomes TikTok videos. I'm not wearing that shorts that short either. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. I mean, I don't want this,
1: but th- that's what I agreed to do. So, you know, I, I think it's some gonna kind of composite Mahomes outfit, you know, where it's like, I've got the, the chief starter jacket Patrick?
0: thing. It's good. It's wearing the jersey.
1: I've got, I think I can do the hair. I need a chain of some kind. How about the skinny jeans? I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing skinny jeans. I'm not doing, I'm not doing short shorts either. And I'm not doing topless unless we raise a staggering sum of money. Anyway, Double. I've raised $951 so far, but that's been the total for a while now. So come on, people. My pin tweet, at PFF underscore Sam. Let's at least get us over 1000 and let's get moving in the right direction.
0: How you more, doing? more importantly, my, um, my poorly cropped hope is here tag. <laughs> We're only at $185 on my goal that's yeah. of $2,500. But- <laughs> Look. <laughs> hope is here it's, i got it from the website and just it was it was tough i need some help i need some uh-huh. i need some design help here so maybe it's not attracting the people but the cause heritage house should attract people and, and there are people by the way donating to both of these
1: so a special thanks to those people
0: oh yeah yeah of course thanks to everybody I and mean, we're having fun it's competition for fun but we you know the, the money's always going whether it's yours or mine uh going to a good cause either way uh, but i gotta sell i gotta sell heritage house on this thing so um, over the last couple of years, actually, the biggest, the biggest killer, 18 to 49-year-old men, fentanyl and drug overdoses. I know we're in the middle of uh, COVID pandemic and all that stuff, but that has been the biggest killer for, for these men. Most of uh, the age group that, where most of these men go into this program, recovery program over here in our hometown of Cincinnati. So it's near and dear to my heart, and we appreciate anybody that's going to be a part of this. If we hit our goal, when and if we hit our goal. I will go through all of our combine drills. And let me just say, it's going to be even more hilarious as my diet gets worse and I'm not, like, I'm not really prepared. I, I do need to take some time to prepare for this. If I don't, it's going to be even more hilarious, though, watching me try to change directions and run a 40 and yeah, bench. I mean, and If it's 225, I mean, I might kill myself, but it'll that's be all the, worth seeing. It'll be the
1: athletic equivalent of the 74-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, yeah,
0: pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. It'll be that in combine guys. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm turning 40 next month. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. This month. It's just comedy. I mean, in a day, it'll be this month. Yikes. It's in March. Uh, yeah, so, you know, as I get older, I'm tall and goofy, and it's just, it's comedy watching me do athletic I mean, it can be. events. Sure, yeah. yeah. And it's embarrassing, too, so.
1: I just anyway. saw a the, uh, notification there. The, this Costco's got another PlayStation drop. Oh. You have five PlayStations available to get. Do you want me to see if... Do you want me to log in and... Oh, oh, no. it's It's gone already. It's way past that point. Try... Hold on. Let me just text the, you. Yeah. Uh, the, dro- the stock drops, I think, is what they're called. So we're, we're however many ES5 months again. into this this like global shortage of computer chips or whatever. So PlayStation 5, the Xbox, they've been released for years at this point. You still can't get them. Any, There's no sign of them anywhere. Nobody has them. So what happens now is that all these big brands, they get like a batch of them. And then they do these stock drops where they, like 9 a.m. or whatever, on a given day, they just put them up for sale again. And immediately, the well, however many hundred they got in a, in a van are just sold. Gone. Like, instantly. And that, I that's now the entire world is everybody trying to get these. They
0: can't just make more?
1: No, because run, they've run out of, like, whatever it is, silicone chips or just oh, some right, kind of yeah. shortage. So you can't get PlayStations. You can't get Xboxes as Xbox. <clears throat> I don't know. It's just tough. Yeah, it's tough pretty world. annoying.
0: It seems pretty annoying. Well, I texted, uh, texted Kelly. Let's see if mm. she can. should be a problem. See if she can buy this for you over at uh, over at Costco. Anyway, mock draft. All, All right, nice. let's get into the mock here. Uh, again, it's over at pff.com. It's my first version. It is. Look, it is a little challenging before free agency because I made some assumptions. Hmm. So, starting with the quarterbacks, only two QBs go in the first round, and I made a point. In this, my current stance on the quarterbacks, I don't, for all the QB needy teams, I think I want to try to attack this first with veterans. So I made some assumptions and I put the two quarterbacks in the first round in spots where they don't necessarily have to play in year one. I think that might be my strategy and current stance here. Kay. Malik Willis goes and <laughs> Sam Howell goes, Vikings and Lions respectively. And I think the Vikings can go lame duck year with Kirk Cousins as of now. The Lions can go lame duck year with Jared Goff. And you can let those guys come in and develop because I'm patient and you don't need a quarterback to come in right away. So hmm. that's where I'm going with it. And then the other quarterbacks, will they'll be in the second round.
1: <laughs> I think Renner has said that none of these quarterbacks you want starting year one. He, I think he said there was one guy that you would have maybe starting as a rookie. Um, but generally, probably this, pick it could have been yeah but but generally this is a group that you don't want starting starting year one you're gonna like and we're in this remember that's this this bizarre thing where there's not necessarily a defined right or wrong answer right do you start the rookie do you let him sit and learn for a year there's data points on either side but for this group it feels like all of them need some significant work before you throw them out there
0: yeah and like it it couldn't it couldn't hurt, you know, again, it's it, it, there are no defined data points, right? It's not like this type of quarterback needs a year, this type of quarterback can play right away. Just Just act with patience. And then the other part of the quarterback discussion, of course, is we all could be wrong, right? I mean, we've all been wrong before. So last year at this time, we thought that there was five first round quarterbacks and you can make a case for all five being good. But there were some people who astutely said at the end of the day, only three of these guys might be good. Just, just the numbers, right? Yeah. And at the time, it's like, man, who's, is Zach Wilson not going to be? like? Is Trevor Lawrence not going to pan out? But at the end of the day, out of this five, two could be top ten quarterbacks. We don't really know, so that is where they're at least worth a swing of the bat.
1: Right. Not only could we all be wrong, but statistically, again, the chances are one of these guys is okay, right? No go on the PS5. No go. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't think there would be. Okay. Um, didn't expect it to work. So the chances are, like one of these quarterbacks actually ends up being pretty good, just because it's not. This is different to that class in 2013. Remember when EJ Manuel went in the middle of the first round, basically because he showed up and was the only guy that didn't like fall over and look abysmal at the Senior Bowl, and I was like, oh, well, I guess he's the QB in the first round. Um, it isn't as bad as that, right? Yeah. It's, I don't think it's the same type of quarterback class. It's it's not as good as a year ago, but it isn't a 2013 group where you look at it and you say there's just nobody in this class that has any shot of being a starting quarterback going forward. It's just a different group, and it's a different group where, like, I mean, I, I still think there's a pretty good chance at least one quarterback goes in the top 10, but even if they don't, it's a group where you're looking at it and you're saying this is an entire kind of crop of developmental-style quarterbacks with upside, which is fine, and in an ideal world, those guys go in the second round but this isn't an ideal world. They probably don't. They probably go in the first. And the chances are, you know, one or two of those guys pans out.
0: Yeah, the other, the other thing about this is, you know, I always say if, if one team loves one of them, they still want to play the market, right? So if, if one team loves, loves Sam Howell, but they've got pretty good intel that no one else does, right? Or they're, they're playing the board. They're playing the market or whatever it doesn't mean you have to trade up to get him, right? We've seen this in the past with, say, Washington a few years ago with Dwayne Haskins. A lot of people are like, hey, you know, Dwayne Haskins, he's going to go in the first round. Washington's hot on him. They're going to go get him. And they waited till 15 and got him. Uh, Maybe the pick itself didn't end up panning out, but the process of not panicking and giving up extra picks to get him worked out. So even if teams love quarterbacks, I don't know if they're going to go I don't know if they're going to go all that high. So in, in this mock, we'll just talk QBs to start, right? I got Malik Willis going to the Vikings at 12. And then with the Lions at 32, I think strategically, knowing that they need a quarterback in the fifth-year option component here, that's probably where they should take a swing at a quarterback at 32, back end of the first round. So I, that's where I give them Sam Howell.
1: Yeah, I think generally that's a very pop. not the Sam Howell part specifically, but giving, the, giving a quarterback to the Lions at 32 – seems to be an extremely popular draft pick. I did it in my mock draft. You're doing it in your mock draft. I've seen it in a bunch of others. It makes sense, right? They're playing with house money, that term. It's it's the extra pick because the Rams won the Super Bowl. It's the lowest possible pick in the first round. It also makes perfect sense for that pick to be a trade-out you know, spot for, for Detroit. Um, and maybe there is a team coming in and trying to grab the quarterback with the last pick of the first round to get that fifth year option, maybe the Lions will jump out of the first round in uh with that draft pick. But if they're not, if they're stuck there and these quarterbacks are falling the way we a lot of people expect them to, it makes a lot of sense if there's a quarterback that Detroit does like as a first round pick to grab that guy there, knowing that you've already secured, in this case, um kyle hamilton but you know whoever it is whether it's aiden hutchinson kyle hamilton one of the offensive tackles Thibodeau, whatever you've taken with the second overall pick of the draft you can now just throw you can throw a gamble out there and see if you snag a franchise quarterback later on
0: listen mike you can't just call me i'm live on the show mike you can't just call me right now all right, we'll go back to the top of the draft. We'll talk about what I did at number one in a minute. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions help you re- helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, top of the draft. Look, I'm back at four. I've already got feedback on this. Aiden Hutchinson going number one to the Jaguars. I've already gotten feedback. Hey, we got to go offensive line. I get it. I, I, I could see the case for offensive line versus edge here. In this iteration, at the moment right now, I'm going Aiden Hutchinson. Only because I think some of the other – I think he's got fewer red flags from a production standpoint. Plus, we had Austin on the show the other day previewing the draft. He's talked to everybody that Hutch has ever talked to in mm. his life, and they all love him. Yeah. Sold me on him. Okay. No. That's well, so, By the way, go check out the draft preview with Austin if you haven't already. It was great.
1: Here's the important part, though, right? It's what you would do, not what you think is going to happen because I think, I mean, the and the betting markets, I think have moved this way as well. Like Evan Neal is now a massive favorite to go number one overall, whereas before that was... He was a long shot. He was at least the third favorite behind uh, Hutchinson and Thibodeau. All of a sudden, he's the guy that everybody is expecting to get drafted number one overall. I think that's probably for a reason. Even if it isn't him, I think they're going offensive tackle with that first pick. I just think given the way last season went with Trevor Lawrence, they are going to try and surround that guy with help, whatever help looks like. And in this case, it's offensive tackle. So that's what they will do. But this, is, this mock is what you would do. It is what I would do. And you're going for the pass rusher.
0: Yeah, I think there are... I, I think Hutch, I hate using the word safe, but all I'm saying is I think the projections for Hutchinson are better than, say, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, Ike Iguanu, whichever tackle you want to choose, right? The argument against... Because um, if I did go tackle, I'd probably go Evan Neal. I feel safer about his combination of... Played on the left and right side. Probably the best combination of pass blocker plus run blocker out of that group. Iki Iguanu, a better run blocker. Charles Cross, a better pass blocker. Evan Neal's the best combination of the two. So I'd go Evan Neal with Alabama. Plus athleticism. He's working with our friend Duke. Duke's got a pretty good track record. Like, I feel pretty good about Evan Neal. I feel a little better about Aiden Hutchinson. My argument against myself here would be if you go Evan Neal first... We did talk about on the preview show. There are a ton of edge defenders. There's 12 in our top 60. Uh, and the Jaguars pick at the top of the second round. You, you could fill that position at the top of the second. It's, you know, this is one of those um, discussions we have with Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell. Like, what do you do with the second pick? And where's the, the depth in the draft? So I could see that. Um, but as of right now, I just I feel a little bit better about Hutchinson rather than the tackles.
1: Why are the likes of Derek Stingley you know, different positions, not in play.
0: I think, so, cor- you know, again, we always talk about the value of corner and all that stuff. The, the risk factor there is, is higher. Um, and I'm back and forth on this, right? I always say diversify your portfolio of, uh, of draft picks. That's how I, you know, I'm like, uh, you're quite the financial advisor here. Mm. You have to diversify. You have to have, you have to have quote unquote high upside players. And so if I say high upside I'm not talking about the player itself. I'm just talking about the inability to properly predict cornerback play versus the easier ability to predict defensive line play, right? A Derek Stingley presents probably the biggest home run in the draft for a non-quarterback. If if Derek Stingley hits, he's the most valuable player in the draft. I mean, but you could say that about any corner so to speak, right? If this corner hits, he becomes the most valuable player in the draft because they are, they are more valuable. But I think with Stingley, with the injury factor, the fact that he's three years removed from his, from his best play, if I'm picking at one, now I picked him at seven, but if we're picking at one, I'm less likely to incur that risk. I'm more likely to incur that risk with the Giants at seven, like I did, because they've got two first-round picks. That's where when I have multiple first-round picks, and I did this with the Eagles, I took players that had a little bit more risk associated with them because they have multiple picks, and I think you could take those chances more. If I'm the Jaguars and I get one shot at it, I feel like I got to be a little bit safer with a Hutchinson because it's easier to project edge defenders going forward, and he's got good—you know—he projects well. He had 94.5 PFF grade last year, and uh, best combination of run defender and pass rusher in the draft.
1: Yeah, I mean his his college grading and projections—they're not quite Bosa's, but they're very, very close. Yeah, like it's not—it's not quite where the
0: Bosa's were, but it's—it's it's right behind them. With Thibodeau, the the snap for snap stuff is there. He just didn't put together like full season. So some of the metrics I use—you look at regular PFF pass rush grades. So if you have the draft guide, which is great by the way, you get twenty five percent off using the promo code NFL Pod. That is still live. Go check out the draft guide. When you're looking at defensive linemen, you want pass rush grade, run defense grade. They project really well at the NFL level. The other one that's not a part of that, which is PFFIQ exclusive, sorry, is war and wins above average, uh, WA, for college players. And Thibodeau, like, WA and war are more cumulative stats, so you've got to be on the field more. Uh, but they both project really well to the NFL, right? Taking a guy who is valuable in college on the defensive line is generally valuable in, the, in, uh, in college and in, in, in the NFL, right? Thibodeau's lower there because he doesn't have the higher snap count or put the full season together. So there's like a production red flag on Thibodeau, but the snap for snap stuff is still pretty good. So Thibodeau and Hutchinson, I feel good enough about. But again, I think, I think Hutch just uh, – documentary Hutch. It's coming out. It's coming out soon. Check out Hutch. I think Hutch is, is the guy for me right now. We'll see what happens next mock draft. When's okay. my next one scheduled? i got to get on the uh, – look at that hutch coming April 20, 2022. Plus, I'm a company man. I mean, we're doing a documentary on the guy. He's mm. got to go number one overall. Full disclosure. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm not that big of a company man. <laughs> All right, where else did I go wrong? Number two, I went Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, and then Evan Neal to the Texans at three, the tackle out of Bama.
1: Safety, number two overall.
0: But Kyle Hamilton's different. Uh, why? He's different. So I think what you got to do here, so so now I'm incurring risk. so the Lions have two picks, yeah. So I'm again with my strategy. If if you have multiple picks, I'm willing to to take on more risk. Yeah. The the payoff of Kyle Hamilton is huge. I also think it's there are certain positions or certain players that can be force multipliers, right? When you have a player like the player of the Chargers, mm-hmm. number thirty three. When you have a Jalen Ramsey, when you have an Aaron Donald, when you have these elite players, I think they're force multipliers on your defense that doesn't even show up in, say, the PFF numbers. And Kyle Hamilton has that ability. You could play different coverages. You could do different stuff with him. Um, It's kind of like Earl Thomas at free safety as well, right? Earl had such great range that Seattle could play an entirely new scheme where Earl Thomas is going to cover twice as much ground as other people and then... You know, open up things for the rest of the, the the ten other people. I think Hamilton has that ability, so that's what I'd be banking on. His length, his range, ninetieth percentile in forced incompletions uh, compared to recent NFL prospects. So I, I, that's where I'm I'm willing to buck the trend for a safety here too. Yeah, I mean, he's got a highlight reel of insane
1: coverage plays where he just shows up. His range is crazy. His ability to read it and set off quickly is nuts. I I haven't heard nearly enough about just how freaking huge he is. Yeah, Like, that guy is 6'4", 220. Harrison Smith, who's been like the prototype do-it-all safety in the last decade or so, Harrison Smith is two inches shorter and 10 pounds lighter. And I think that list height for Harrison Smith, having stood next to him, might be generous. What's he listed? 6'1"? 6'2". 6'2"? No, he's six not 6'2". Two. Two. No. Look, if I'm 5'11", I don't think Harrison Smith is 6'2". Well, I think your list height might be, might be a stretch. Which way? I'm je- is generous, I'm generous 511.
0: Might be I'm telling you, it's true. It's it's bang on. I'm, I'm a pretty 11. good judge. I can tell where people can't tell. Like, everybody is I'm a really little bit to you, like somebody up to my shoulder. Like, oh, you're a 6'1. You know, you're I, I get, no, I everyone
1: this. to you is like a little a lilliputian. You're just like uh, small people. You have uh, no idea. Like, they're like you break everybody's scale, right? When right. we first went to the combine, which we're going this week, yeah, you can't and I, wait. looking for driving to it. there, like a road trip. When, oh, we should. Tommy, we should what is it, what's the Tom Brady thing? Brady for 80, 80 for Brady. We'll, we'll be. That's, that's NFL our road Pod trip.
0: for two hours. We'll
1: just set up the phone and we'll have our own our own uh, comedy. Yeah, road should trip, we do show. some some TikToks? Maybe. And, uh,
0: anyway, live stream our trip.
1: When we first went to the combine, and a lot of the PFF people that had only met each other like virtually online before Zoom existed, um, met each other in person you like broke the scale of everybody's brain, right? Because in my head, there was Steve Height people and then not Steve Height people, right? Regardless of how tall the non-Steve Height people were. So in my brain, like Jack Farrell, who was like 6'3", is the same height as Neil, who's like 5'10", right? And there's only later when you met them up again, oh, hang on, these people aren't the same size at all. They're just not Steve Height. So you quite clearly can't tell what
0: height other people are. You're just like, oh, those are, those are small people. I'm I'm just saying I'm pretty good when people are next to me at guessing their height. Anyway, this is all stemming from Kyle Hamilton being six foot four. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see. This is the week. It'll be official. He might be like, you know five eight. He might be six oh three five. Yeah. you know, you don't know. We get to see all the heights and weights. It's it's a big week. Yeah, so I oh. mean if that list size holds
1: up, he becomes a massive player at safety. Particularly today, right? When this Everything on defense is trending smaller, faster. You know, like Darius Len—that's Darius Leonard's
0: So he's bigger than Darius Leonard. Yeah, with safety skills, and and what you know, when you play zone, it just it tightens passing windows. Again, he's got deep range. He's got uh, underneath zone range, um, which again, the way the way teams play zone, it just it changes the the arithmetic on the field. So that's why I'm willing to take that shot at Kyle Hamilton at two. I go Texans, Evan Neal, tackle at three. Jets take edge, Kayvon Thibodeau at four. I got suckered in, and I didn't go Stingly on this one. I don't know. I didn't go Stingley. Probably should have. For the Jets? I got suckered. I just didn't feel like hearing the Jets fan, Oh, we're never going to go corner. I, 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 got, I got bullied a little bit mm. based mm. off you getting bullied yeah. about that. So, yeah, Evan Neal, number three to the Texans. Kayvon the Thibodeau, in. number four to the Jets. Uh, wanted with the tackle from NC State to the Giants at five. Anything there? Evan Neal. So I've got Neal going to the Texans to play tackle, assuming Laramie Tunsil gets traded. You get younger there. You flip Tunsil for some picks, and, and then you just replace him. I think that's a safe pick. It's a good pick for the Texans.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Texans are in a weird spot because they need everything, right? And at the top of the draft, like, that's the pivot point where anything in this draft could change based off what Houston decides to do, which could be literally anything. There is there isn't a player on the board when the Texans are picking a three that wouldn't be a need and wouldn't be an upgrade. And, and there's always the possibility they trade out as
0: well. So, like, literally anything could happen at that pick. The thing I love about three, Bill Belichick. Like, we've never... We've almost never seen Bill Belichick pick in the top 10. I think the last time was 2008. They got Gerard Mayo. And at the time, it was like, really? Gerard Mayo? That's, I mean, it was, it was a fine pick, but it wasn't like the one you expected. So Belichick and the Patriots have a history of picking unorthodox players, say, right? Nick Casario is now in Houston. They didn't have a first-round pick last year. Is he going to go the unorthodox route? Right? We, we don't have a lot of history of the Belichick tree, I mean, front office tree, picking in the first round. We have Scott Pioli took Tyson Jackson years ago, right? They wanted to recreate their Ty Warren, Richard Seymour. What's Casario? Because we have one year of Casario in Houston, and he built the team with a whole bunch of mid-level special teamers like he already had a championship roster. Mm. Is he... Is, is this pick going to be completely out of left field well, the, at number three? Or is it going to be somewhat predictable? Like we'll take the tackle because they have so many needs.
1: The last 12 months of the Houston Texans has been essentially treading water with literally zero direction. Like I, I honestly have no earthly idea what they're doing other than killing time until something happens. I don't know if it's they're waiting on the Deshaun Watson thing. I don't know if they're waiting until like the correct quote-unquote head coaching candidate emerges and is willing to pick up the phone when they answer when they call him like i don't know what they're waiting for right but at the moment it does appear their strategy appears to be waiting we we hire these head coaches for a year with zero responsibility and clearly zero future we don't invest in anything we we hire all uh low (laughs) These zero-contract type players, right? Just these guys that are there just to kill a roster spot for a while. Maybe we'll pick up somebody down the line. If not, we'll flip them for a sixth-round pick in the future. I don't know what they're doing. So when it comes to the draft, you're like, okay, now all of a sudden the number three overall pick should form a fairly strong foundation stone to what it is you're building here, but you're not building anything. So what do you do with that foundation stone?
0: Like, do you actually? This is the foundation draft. This has to be.
1: Is it, or it is, has to or are be. they somehow? Like, what do you do if you're killing time and you have the number three overall pick? Is my point.
0: You, you just get. You got to take the best player on the board. I'm hoping that's what they do. <laughs> if I'm the Houston, Te- how hard could it be? If I'm the GM of the Texans, I'm taking Evan Neal. Okay. So we're going Evan Neal. I'm assuming Tunsil's traded. Brandon Cooks has traded. They have to add a foundation in Houston this year. Thibodeau to the Jets at four. Coward. Yeah coward hmm. yeah a little bit yeah, I was a little cowardly here yeah a little cowardly here my heart wants to take Stingley um and and, and I went against my own explanation right the Jets have two picks yeah I, I should be willing to take that chance and you even had the cover of it's what I would do not what they will do and you still you yeah still, I didn't want to deal with it still bought it I just didn't want to deal with it huh. okay but I also knew what was coming at 10 for the Jets which is Ahmad Gardner are you an investor in Kayvon Thibodeau's crypto are you just trying to boost up the stock like Austin? No comment. Uh, okay. No comment. All right. My laptop's not plugged in.
1: Hmm. It's disappointing.
0: Next time you're on camera, I'm going to go over there and make sure we get the plug so- situation okay. going. Okay. I'm going to make a point. So of talk. Not, not no, so my other Jets pick, though, Ahmad Gardner. So I feel like I got the best of both worlds here. Um, I know we didn't give Zach Wilson some direct help here, but the Jets are sitting there at the top of round two with multiple picks. Gardner has that I love the uh, Renner so if you have the draft guide Renner has some good one liners in there and uh, I think I quoted at least one of them but uh, pterodactyl build is what mm-hmm. he said for uh, Ahmad Gardner and I, the thing I, I my phrase is he's a menace at the catch point a menace the opposite of your uh, wide receiver chaperone yeah. right? he just chaperones receivers around Gardner is a menace at the catch point because of his length and ball skills and all that stuff so I think the Jets made a couple nice additions to their defense here. So, it's, so the, the debate would be Stingley, say at four, and then whoever I would take at 10, which probably I would lean receiver there. So, so it's Stingley and Drake London probably versus Thibodeau and Gardner. Gardner's one of these players that it,
1: the 40 time could be really important for him. Like we we talk a lot about how much how important is measurables combine measurables forty times all that kind of thing for corner in particular, it's all about that threshold time. If you're faster than a four point six flat, you're okay. We don't really need you to be any faster than that, but that doesn't mean it's not going to affect draft stock. So for a guy like Gardner, who went who has that freakish build, six foot three, long, uh, went his entire college career without giving up a touchdown. Like these are some pretty crazy data points but nobody knows if he's that fast and if he goes out there and runs well I, that could actually that could cement him in the top 10 somewhere and potentially leapfrog him clearly over a guy like Derek Stingley on the other hand if he goes out there and runs something hovering around that 4-6 flat that's going to scare teams
0: do you think that's what he looks like it's, I, I wrote a note in my notes I put doesn't look fast and it, wo- it looks like he works hard to keep up Right? I don't. Like sometimes he, some guys, they're like they're chugging man. to try to run. He looks like he struggle. Not struggles isn't the right word, but he, you know he works hard to keep up. As I wrote,
1: I don't think he's blazing. On the other hand, when you're six three, it's it's kind of difficult to be slow. You know, once you're running, true. You like,
0: it's, it's. I don't think it's going. I don't think it's detrimental speed.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Has. Like it, it would be hard for a guy that big and that thin to run that slow to be, like, over the threshold where we're like, oh, that's a problem. Yeah. So I would imagine he probably runs in the 4-5 somewhere, which is fine, but it's not going to do his draft stock any good. But if he managed somehow to pull out, like, a 4-4 four, four from somewhere, not even a 4-4 four, four flat, just in the 4-4. Four, then you think
0: he's in Stingley conversation?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that would, like, bump him over Stingley and say, I mean, the body of work here is better, albeit in a, a, a lesser uh, – against lesser competition for the most part. Um and he's got the size, the length, the coverage numbers, and all of a sudden he runs well as well.
0: Yeah. So either way, I, I, yeah, I, I agree that so that would be a story to watch here at the combine. And I would say, I like I like what the Jets got here in Thibodeau and Stingley. Uh, I'll run it through uh, I'll run it through my matrix and see if uh, I'm sorry in uh, Gardner, if it's Thibodeau and Gardner versus Stingley in London, what yeah. would be better? Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. All you have to do is bet $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't know how long the great DraftKings deals are going to last, so get at it right now. Promo code is PFF. All right. Uh, I, I the one I struggle with here is at six too, Panthers. I gave them Charles Cross from you, Mississippi State. Do you think there's any chance in hell that they actually have this draft pick at the time the pick rolls around? That the, you think they're trading this for a QB? Yeah. You think they're going to go all in? Yeah. Um, there was a. I don't even want to say there was a rumor. There was like a guy with a thousand followers. No, not that there's anything wrong with that. If you have a thousand followers, like good for you. That's fine. All I'm saying is. You, you probably don't have the cachet to start NFL rumors. And that's what a guy did.
1: Yeah, well, it certainly... it, it For those, Kirk Cousins, by the way. It raises questions about what your source is. Yes. You know, when you're the dude with a
0: thousand followers. I'm not followers. hating on anyone that has a thousand followers. We've all had a thousand followers at some point, unless you're not there yet. Hmm. But I'm just saying you're probably not, you know, the one that should be rumor mongering in the NFL. You can be. But maybe we shouldn't run with it. So anyway, there's this fake rumor out there that the Panthers for Kirk Cousins at six.
1: It's not the person's fault, right? No, no. You be
0: you. You you put whatever you want. Whatever you want.
1: This is a failure of other people.
0: Yeah, I blame NFL media. I love blaming the media for this.
1: It's a failure of evaluating the source, right? This is the thing that is losing place in society. People have forgotten how to evaluate the source. So when a guy... With a thousand followers, who doesn't clearly have some kind of inside connection? Ie, in his bio, it's not like you know, director of player personnel or whatever. Or you know, there's not an obvious link between him and
0: the important people in the rumor he's talking about. That's not a great source. I mean, I'm more credible than him, and I've put so many fake rumors out there that you know. Yeah, Baker Mayfield. On the other hand, if you're Carolina, you can't go into this.
1: You can't go into the next season without a veteran quarterback under center, correct? Yeah. Like, you can't roll with what you have, which is nothing. You can't draft somebody at number six overall and start that guy and expect it to work out well. You literally have to throw whatever you have at somebody, some veteran, whether it's Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, whatever the quarterback is, throw the things at that person and get them under center because everybody in that building is getting fired if you don't. I need you to do, like, a
0: what the Panthers should do article. Throw the things. All of the throw things. Throw all the things to the quarterbacks. Whatever you have left for picks. Yeah. Uh, in this iteration, like, Russ would be great. I mean, throw, throw the pick at Russ. I mean, does he even want to go there? But anyway, the point is, whatever
1: trade you create has to involve number six overall. Yeah. Like, there's no way you get a deal done for anybody that doesn't involve that pick. Yeah.
0: Well, as of right now, uh, I'm assuming they... Ugh, this is tough. I can't assume that they figured out quarterback and free agency mm-hmm. and still had number six, but if they were just picking at number six That's and the roster is where it is, <laughs> it's tough to not take a tackle. I don't love Charles Cross.
1: Oh, yeah. If they've managed to trade something that doesn't involve
0: number six and yeah. absolutely use it Maybe on a Maybe it's all the other stuff they traded. Yeah. But I'm going with Charles Cross. So okay. at least get the left tackle situation addressed. Cross is
1: really interesting because... Um, he's got great stats. He's got great grades. The there are people that look at technique and um, you know fundamentals and all those kinds of things that love how he plays. But there is that question about that Mike Leach offense for for offensive linemen and the success rate that it's had in the past. And this isn't a you know, you oh, Florida haven't produced a good corner in years. This would right? be a good TikTok
0: for you. It's not really a full article. This is a good social good media TikTok. breakdown.
1: But you know the way you hear, like, it's not same team scouting, right? It's not like, hey, Florida haven't produced a good corner in years, therefore don't draft Florida corner. Across, corners. like, four different coaches. Right. right. It, this is a – Mike Leach's offense is a very uh, unusual offense that has certain consistent stylistic themes, which – are very different to almost every NFL offense out there and change the way an offensive lineman has to block. So what you're saying is the Mike Leach offense, the Mike Leach system has a pretty bad track record of producing offensive tackles that can pass block at the NFL level. Why is
0: Charles Cross different? would be my question. Yeah, I think it's it's a fair it's a fair question. We should look we could look back at it cuz he's got good grades but for one year, um, and yeah, the Andre Dillard's and Joe Dolls of the world have also graded well. A lot of those those players have graded well and not necessarily translated to the NFL. Uh, I trust Renner, too as a as a scout. You know his scouting eye in this too. He likes he likes Cross. It's pretty bold, and um, he's got potential there. The Giants are worth discussing. Uh, I mentioned tackle Iki Iguanu at five. Maybe move him to right. So some people want to move him to guard because he is just. Just a beautiful. Do so we run want to move him to guard? Just because he's such a good run blocker, I, I'm keeping him at tackle. I'm moving him to right tackle or having him at right tackle opposite Andrew Thomas, right? And yeah, that's that's the starting point. Um, he's a better run blocker than pass blocker, kind of like Mike McGlinchey coming out <laughs> a couple years ago, uh, back in the day, back in the back in the late eighties, back in the seventies you know, and eighties uh, when McGlinchey came out. But a at five. And then I'm taking the shot on Derek Stingley. Now I know on the depth chart right now the Giants have James Bradbury. They've got a Dory Jackson, but Bradbury both of those guys are making over thirteen million a year. Bradbury heads into the last year of his contract. So I'm going to draft Stingley at seven and maybe even flip Bradbury to a to a cornerback needy team, get more draft get more draft picks back. Hmm. so that there's a there's a combo move to be had there, or at the very least, you keep Bradbury for a year, you ease Stingley in. Or you have the three corners, but, you know, it's, it's next year, right? We're not just drafted for this year. Right. But next year you let Bradbury walk, you get the comp pick, whatever it might be, but you have some insurance at corner, which is crucial. So I got Stingley going at the Gi- to the Giants at seven. And uh, Trent McDuffie, my, uh, my favorite. Did you, get, did you have any Trent McDuffie takes after watching him on? I mean, nothing radically different
1: to anything you've been saying. Very small, moves very well. I just love watching him. Gracefully Austin, move around the field. Austin's point was interesting. There is a lot of Byron Murphy to his game, um, yeah, which is interesting because of Byron Murphy's NFL career path. And again, like kind of same school scouting. Like it feels automatically when you compare a guy to the same to a player at the same position from the same school, it feels lazy. Um, but you can see a lot of Byron Murphy in McDuffie's game, which becomes interesting because Murphy played on the outside of the NFL, didn't look good there, moved inside, and suddenly looked like a much better slot defender, which is, you know, that's the question with McDuffie, is that guy is really small. Can he play outside and be really good at that level? Like, is he, is he Jair Alexander or Byron Murphy?
0: Because right, that's right. a massive difference in value. That's fair. And again, using referencing the draft guide, Renner loved him enough that he put on the shades of Jair Alexander. Shades cup. of. So maybe I'm, I'm closer to that with McDuffie. Falcons at eight, they're another team I think can go anywhere. They could go receiver, they could go corner, they could go, um, they just they could go edge. They just need help. So I'm going corner in, in this iteration for the Falcons. Broncos at nine, I took the edge defender George Karlaftis from Purdue, and then we already mentioned the Jets at ten, taking Ahmad Gardner. Uh, Broncos at nine too. Maybe that might be the pick that uh, is really the Packers' pick if they end up trading for Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? Is anything going to happen? By the way, like it's, when is stuff going to happen? Is it this week? News, Rogers news, trades. Last year at this time, we'd had five massive trades, and the news was through the roof in the NFL. What's happening? Remember,
1: part of the news was always like, "Hey, Russ is slightly
0: upset." Yeah, why doesn't he go? But then we spent months being like, "Oh, Russ is on the move." Russ is no. I'm going to text my friend Dan Patrick. I'm going to go to his. Can you get Russell Wilson on your show again just to get some news going? Mm. You need to. Anything else in this mock? Go go to my next few picks here in the mock. Anything else in your mock? No, nothing else
1: was of interest.
0: Nothing else nothing, was good. Nothing at all. We're Drake at... London? What do you think of Drake London with your boy Terry McLaurin in the Commanders at 11?
1: So, because London is such a unique prospect in terms of size, body shape, just how he wins, all those kinds of things, I like him as a fit in a lot of places. Like, I, I think he fits in more places than... a. The, the number of teams for whom he's a very good fit and complement to what they already have, I think, will artificially propel him higher up draft boards than he would be in just a vacuum relative to these other receivers, right? So I think generally players like Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson, like those guys I might have ahead of Drake London just in, in, like in a vacuum. If you, don't, if you don't tell me what offense I have or what players I currently have, and you just say, pick one of these receivers, right? You just have to add a guy to your team with zero more information. I might take both those guys ahead of Drake London. But if you start Sorry, looking you at- Sorry, you said th- the Ohio State guys? Who'd you say? Garrett Wilson and uh, Traylon Burks. Wilson and Burks. But if you look at the actual situations and you start saying, okay, now you've got this team- with guys like Terry McLaurin already there, or the Jets situation, or whatever it is, I start to like London's fit as a complimentary piece a lot more because of the style he plays in and the way he uh, the way he wins against defenders. It's a, I'm, so I'm kind of slightly torn on what to think about him. Whether I'm like overrating him or underrating him relative to those things.
0: No, that's fair. And uh, look, London's gotten some of those Mike Evans comps because of the size and the fact that he's not just a uh... You know, he can move. He can move pretty well, right? But London reminds me a little bit of Cortland Sutton for the Denver Broncos. Because when Sutton came out, I remember him putting moves on cornerbacks thinking he should, at four, he should not have that type of agility. He should not have the after-the-catch shiftiness that he has. This was, you know, Sutton. London, I think, has some of that ability. So, I don't know if he, like, Mike Evans is really good and i don't know if, he ever, if london ever gets to mike evans level but if he's even cortland Court, sutton level when sutton's healthy with his size and i don't know if sutton was a second rounder but i would take that and i think london with McLaurin, this is this is another one of those places the commanders have a quarterback need i'm making the assumption that they they res, they solve that in free agency or they're also and or they're also going to draft somebody in the second round. They're going to grab Kenny Pickett in the second round to go with their free agent, whatever it might be. So I made some assumptions here, pre-free agency. Vikings at twelve, we take Malik Willis out of Liberty. I already mentioned that. We discussed that a little bit. Um, the point there, he can sit, right? I'll, I'll keep Cousins for another year, and we're building around Willis, and that's the plan. Okay.
1: Yeah, the, the Malik Willis, I think, is. He's my, he's the most intriguing quarterback prospect in this draft to me because of, because he's the one guy that has that absolutely mind-blowing special upside, but there's also a long way to go. Like the quarterback that he reminded me of was Cordell Stewart. And honestly, you can use the, you can use quotation marks when you say quarterback and Cordell Stewart, like kind of, I mean, the guy was nicknamed Slash because he was a quarterback slash wide receiver slash, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't really a quarterback. Now, I'm really intrigued what Cordell Stewart would look like in an offense in 2022. I think he was just way, way before his time, back when NFL teams simply were not capable of tailoring an offense to a guy like that. Like Lamar Jackson, playing in Cordell Stewart's era, would not have simply been a quarterback. The NFL teams they were not capable of building a Lamar Jackson offense back then. Same way when Michael Vick came along, like Michael Vick was just running like the West Coast offense with a couple of bootleg variants in it, you know? Like not yeah. that's it's insane. They, so Cordell Stewart was essentially wasted in an era that wasn't capable of taking advantage of what he was able to do. That being said, he obviously had limitations that meant you couldn't just put him back there and say, "Right, run this pro-style offense the way we want it run." So I think Malik Willis has similar um issues. He's not going to be just this prototypical standard you know, quarterback that, that operates whatever offense you've got exactly the way you have it drawn up in the playbook. You're going to need to modify your system to suit what he does well, but that doesn't mean he can't be special if you do that. So that to me means A, he needs to sit for a while, and B, you need him to sit for a while because you need to spend a period of time
0: drawing up an offense for him. That's, that, you You used that almost same phraseology when Lamar was drafted. And, and they to, did it. To the Ravens, right? You, Flacco was still the starter, and then you spent time building the offense around Lamar. Now, I, I don't know if the Vikings are the best fit for that, right? Taking a Kirk Cousins offense and then turning it into a Malik Willis offense. And, and what did the Ravens do? Had a really good run-blocking offensive line, and... Maybe didn't have the best receivers in the world but they had a ton of tight ends like do the Vikings want to go down that path and build a similar offense I am intrigued by Willis and Dalvin I, I still think uh, look running there are differences in running backs but Malik Willis and Dalvin Cook in the same backfield all right go cover that with this type of speed there that 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 is intriguing for me with the with the Vikings
1: and remember like the but the important part is that Baltimore actually did that like they didn't right. just take a guy throw him out there and then like figure out how it works later they sat him on the bench, and specifically dedicated time during the course of whatever was going on to work on the Lamar offense off to the side. Like, I forget where the article was, but there was a full article sort of detailing that they went through their playbook, play-by-play, like, tossed out anything that simply wasn't going to work or wasn't going to be applicable with Lamar Jackson figured out the stuff that was going to work and then added to that and, you know, design new things around him. They had this plan for this special, unique athlete that they drafted to create an offense around him for the moment down the line where he would become the starter. And then as soon as that happened, they had this system ready to go. So drafting the guy is one thing, but as soon as you've done that, you need the plan to work out how it's going to function. You can't just say, well, we'll sit him behind Kirk Cousins for a year, and if he hasn't, like, picked up the offense by then, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's, that's a him problem, not a me problem. No, like, you, if you draft Malik Willis at 12, you have the opportunity to do exactly what Baltimore did, which is to design an offense custom-made to what he does well,
0: and then break that out whenever he gets put into the lineup. We will get to the rest of the mock, but first, we have breaking news, Sam. Breaking news here on the PFF NFL Podcast. I'm excited to announce... Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. That's it. Ultra-premium. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. We're talking leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. It's an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man. Covers your whole body. Literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest, Sam. Join the four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscapes.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. We have an order of an op- order of operations here too. Here's the order. This is the recommendation. You hop in the shower, scrub a dub dub <laughs> that body. Okay. With the manscaped body wash. Gotcha. So you start with the body wash. Lather your hair up. All right, you could skip two. Sorry, what? That's... Lather your hair up with the two-in-one hair. shampoo and conditioner. Well, look, it's not very long, and there's a lot of it falling out, but it's still there. You lather it up to keep your noggin-toggin. You think I can just ignore this? No, true. You could use the shampoo and conditioner. It's a two-in-one. Then you dry off, spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate the dry skin. Put on Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. That's number four. And then five, pop that Manscaped lip balm on. Yeah. How about the lip balm? No one's out here kissing those chapped-up lips, is what they tell us. Mm -hmm. So you got five easy steps for your Manscaping routine. Getting dressed after that is optional. Yeah. That's what they also tell me. I don't think it is for work. Wear one great scent all day long. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Yeah, you need to dress for work and for the combine. This I mean, week.
1: have you checked? I'm not, I haven't read the,
0: the policy recently. We should double check that. 20% off plus free shipping. The code is PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle. Thanks to Manscaped. You know, it's not a holiday read, but I love that we could break some news here. That's nice, yeah.
1: And we'll break news on the next one too. I also like that there's you know step by step instructions.
0: Yes, the uh, the the five step process for your grooming routine and huh. all that feels great. Not I love as wild, premium premium that,
1: collection. not as wild about the, the bald shaming,
0: but that funny. was not a part of the read. I kind of ad libbed a no, little. No, I know. I, I was I, I was pretty sure it was you, not Manscape, taking a shot at me. There, I wouldn't bald shame if you didn't do it to yourself. That was that would be mean. Mm. That would be mean. Mm. All right, we're up to number 13 on the uh, on the mock draft. Garrett Wilson.
1: The little bald story? <laughs> so sure. one, of, one of the things about going bald, right, is you, you reach that – there's that awkward period where you have to decide when is enough, you know? When has it gone too far and it's time to just accept that you are bald as a cue ball and the only thing left for you from that point on is to shave it, you know, shave it tight, bald. And I'm right on the – like, I'm there. Look, I mean, look, it's it's pretty much gone, Right. So I, I have now bought a skull shaver, like one of those mm. things, that, mm, like the like the, the, thing that literally balled his a cue ball. But the, the problem is you can't go back, right? Once you're there. You're not ready. I'm not. Yeah. And it's not even like a, it's not even a shame thing at that point. It's a laziness thing. Because yeah. like one of the great things about this is that it's just, you know, it's pretty quick and you But... If you have the bald, the skull shaving thing, you don't have to go back. Why do you think I have a beard? It's so I don't have to shave every day. Yeah. If you have to, if yeah, once you're you bald, we got to well, gotta do it like every, the same as shaving. You couldn't go more than like a couple of days before you got I don't want to do that.
0: Oh, yeah. I can understand. I shave once a week. That's Yeah. And it's just a great, I usually shave on a Sunday, so I got nothing. So you notice on the Monday pods, I have far less facial hair. And by Thursday, I got a lot more. Are you
1: changing the frequency based off how gray it's going? My beard? Yeah. No. Oh. It's not that gray, is it? I mean, there's there's hints. <laughs> hints? There's I mean, hints. the whole head is going pretty uh, salt and pepper. you talking about my hair or my, my beard? I mean, every hair that's attached to your head, whether it's here or yeah, here. Yeah, no, I, have,
0: I have not changed. It's silvering,
1: you know? Kind of the way, you know, like a, an adult gorilla. They go silver back, right? Now, I don't think it's for the same reason, but you are, you are experiencing a similar phenomenon where the hair that is attached to your head that used to be dark and black and luscious is now silvering due to age. So now you're silver shaming. Sure. <laughs> See, you, you need to embrace that, right? People go gray or silver, and it's a term of endearment once it happens, like you become George Clooney. That guy went gray when he was, like, 25 and just rocked it. Yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be Clooney yet. And then they get termed like a silver fox. You, you're trying to, like, hide the fact you're an old man now, which is going to get harder and harder to do once you bridge 40. I
0: just need a couple more years. Anyway, I have not changed my shaving routine yet. Okay. Let's get back to the mock. Browns go wide receiver Garrett Wilson at 13. Ravens center Tyler Linderbaum uh, out of Iowa. And then uh, we'll get into the Eagles picks in a minute here. But the Browns, I think clearly receiver and defensive line, what they need to look at. Wilson, good route runner. I mean, I think he's just, he's a good fit there. Jarvis Landry might be on his way out already. Um, so the Browns probably have to double up, maybe triple up between the draft and free agency as far as receiver goes.
1: And yeah, Landry was, he posted a bunch of stuff on social media that was kind of interesting. Another guy apparently that fought through injury a lot this year. Right. And, you know, didn't look himself necessarily when he was doing that presumably also impacted by the fact that Baker Mayfield was out there playing with a busted shoulder and playing like crap with a busted shoulder. So, I mean, look, the Browns are a smart organization, very data-driven and all those kinds of things. I, I wonder, that's just a couple of interesting data points in the same year in terms of how they're treating players who
0: have played with injury at the time. With Landry, he's getting a little bit older. I mean, he's not ancient. Yeah, but it's he's not- getting older, and so the injuries t- tend to add up. And
1: it was always a slightly weird deal anyway. It's not, um, in, in a vacuum, it's fine, right? If they decide that, hey, thank you for your service, bye-bye now. I, there's no problem with that, like, in terms of just an abstract deal. Like, there's, there's no issue. It makes sense. But if you have, like, two players in a year that fought through injury for you, uh, didn't play well necessarily because of it, and the end result of that in both cases is like, well, we're done with you now see ya it's just doesn't it doesn't feel great
0: yeah I, I think the Landry decision would be more based off of he's getting a little older does that become a trend and um, but it sounds like Landry wants out based off those posts yeah the social media but in
1: a, in a sort of like hey you guys have kind of screwed
0: me here and you're not you're not showing but me but what does he want does he want does he want a new contract does he want more money What what love does he want he's under contract next year
1: yeah I don't know
0: Anyway, I think either, whether Landry's there or not, the Browns need a receiver. Yes. Uh, Linderbaum at 14, I think, you know, when you're mock drafting, the, uh, you get a lot of satisfaction when you get a scheme fit, right? You're like, I know this guy's going to fit with this team. Linderbaum on paper is not a scheme fit for the Ravens, right? Because with Linderbaum, he is like Travis Frederick-esque, Unbelievable zone blocking center. So you just want to put him, like find him a Shanahan scheme and all that stuff. And, and, and I don't know if he's going to go this high in the draft. My reasoning with the Ravens here, though, because they're they're more of a gap scheme. They're they're pulling guards and all that stuff, and the center is less a part of their run game. I'm saying, what if they open up their run game even more and run more outside zone stuff? You know, plays where you could pull Linderbaum, get him out in space. I think the Ravens can expand their run game with a guy like Linderbaum. It's the only place that they don't have an offensive lineman under contract. We'll see if they if they end up uh, releasing Alejandro Villanueva, which was on uh, Brad Spielberger's list of potential cuts. No longer the great. No longer the great. The average. He was always the average. The average Villanueva. Uh, but they also have a replacement with Patrick McCary. Like the, the O-line looks pretty good, but uh, Bradley Bozeman, their starting center, is a free agent. I kind of like this Linderbaum fit, even though it doesn't match the way we normally fit players in mock drafts.
1: Linderbaum is going to be a really interesting player to see where he goes. Um, Jim Nagy, the, what is he, director of the Senior Bowl? I think that's is, about right, yeah. The The, the head guy at the Senior Bowl uh, tweeted yesterday, today, about how he thinks that at this point it would be a surprise if Zion Johnson, the guard out of Boston College, yeah. um, isn't the isn't the number one interior offensive lineman off the board, and that would be that's a pretty big statement because Linderbaum has been that guy for pretty much everybody to the point where we're like, well, how high can you take a center? You know, right. how is he good enough that it starts to break positional value and you start thinking about drafting a center in the top ten somewhere um, for that for him to go behind zion johnson would be a significant i mean it would involve both like johnson stock going up and linderbaum
0: stock going down i think both of those things would need to happen for that to be true i had johnson going number 31 to the Bengals. by the way he's number 41 on our big board we'll see if uh we'll see if renner buys into the naggy hype and actually moves uh, zion johnson up but i do have him in the first round as well here are the eagles picks 15 16 and 19 we go Jamison Williams out of Alabama. These are all upside picks, right? Jamison Williams out of Alabama, the receiver. Linebacker Devin Lloyd. That might be the, 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 the pick that everybody's making. Hmm. It's kind of like Lloyd's value where he's going to fall between 10 and 20 on most big boards. And the Eagles have a need at linebacker. Um, so Devin Lloyd, the linebacker out of Utah. And then 19, the Eagles. I have them taking the edge. Uh, David Ajabu from, from Michigan. So with Jamison Williams, the ACL injury, but speedster uh, at receiver. So you're taking a little bit of a chance there, but adding speed, it's the third straight year they're going to draft a receiver in the first round, but it's not, you know, they've had other picks. But I like that. Williams and uh, Devontae Smith. So he yeah. could maybe fix the Jalen Rager miss. I don't even, like, I, I don't know how much anyone should care that he tore his ACL. I mean, obviously... Yeah. We just I feel like obligated to mention it because yeah. it should but like affect how, him a little bit at least. Why? Like, because reached, you might not get a few weeks of play out of him. or A few weeks of play is why you're going to take
1: this guy lower down in the draft than you would otherwise. Like it's, it's ACLs, not risk-free. ACLs have become reasonably routine for NFL players at this point. It's not something that you expect to affect the guy long-term. And even, even short-term, I mean, he'll have had, you know, nine-plus months before he has to get anywhere near a field. It seems like I, I just don't see any real reason why an ACL injury, even one incurred as late as that, should realistically affect this guy's draft stock. If you think he's that good, draft him where you would draft him and accept that he'll be out for a couple of weeks.
0: Uh, somebody had brought up the point about the Chiefs. Somebody's like, oh, they're going to let the Chiefs get him, right? Like, if Jamison, what if, what if the rest of the league disagrees with you, and Jamison Williams does really drop, and he ends up in the twenties, in some of these better teams, or you know, teams that, like, the Cardinals, if they had him, the Cowboys, if they got him to replace Amari Cooper, I mean, there are some really interesting teams in the twenties. The Titans get him with AJ Brown. There are some teams in the twenties that would love Jameson Williams because he is in a sure. different level as far as that speed goes and his acceleration. But that's why, again, I think the Eagles, there's there's not zero risk with this. The Eagles have the three picks. I'm not letting him drop past.
1: He's got thing. that fun. He's got the area of speed that always impresses me the most. So there's like there's three different areas of speed to me. There is instant acceleration. Like how quickly do you go from zero to 80%? Then there's the once you're moving, how fast do you accelerate through the gears and get up to top speed? And then there's once you're at top speed, how fast are you running away from everybody else? His he's got that intermediate thing where that just that running through the gears happens faster than any other player, and like he goes he flies by people in that acceleration arc faster than almost anyone else you can think about. So, Henry Ruggs had real blazing speed but Williams was Williams to me it was more impressive in that running through the gears acceleration phase than Henry Ruggs was
0: when he came out well described so I think I think Eagles fans are happy with that and with with uh so Lloyd will step in as a starter linebacker Jameson Williams adds the speed Ojabu you know you just you add more to the defensive line he um He's only got he's got under 600 career snaps, so you know there's there's a small sample size of play there, but he hasn't played a ton of football. So again, I think with three picks, you can you could slow play Ojabu, you know, have him. He's got to learn how to play the run a little bit better, but you could step in as a designated pass rusher. You get your payoff maybe in year two or three with him, which is which is more acceptable when you have three picks. I'd say with the Eagles. Uh, Beyond that, let's see what else do we have here. 17. The Chargers. Bernard Ryman, the tackle out of Central Michigan, going having him slot in at right tackle. Just continue the Chargers' offensive line overhaul. Complete it. Complete the overhaul. That's it, right? I mean, Brian Bulaga is there. I mean, you just cannot rely on Brian Bulaga at this point. Storm Norton struggled uh, replacing him last year, so Ryman can be the right tackle, and then you're good. Like, all right, we're good with the offensive line for a while. And now let's get weapons for Herbert and build that defense. Yeah, I mean, with
1: uh, Odebushi, um hitting free agency, they need somebody to they need the right guard as well. But that feels like a much easier fix. Given and that's the fine. You have you have four fifths of your offensive line. Yeah, and you can still long term potentially you know. bring back Abushi as well. Right. But um, like that, where last year all they needed was the right tackle. This year, because of free agency, they also need a right guard as well. But that's a much
0: easier fix. So at eighteen with the Saints, I again I they need a quarterback. I assume that they're hitting that elsewhere. Hmm. So they got a quarterback. They resigned Jameis. They did something. And now it's wide receiver trail on Burks. So I got Burks going to the Saints. I like this fit because they need something. Yeah. That receiver. And you know, Marcos Callaway could be a nice two if Burks is, you know, there with him. And uh, I, I think the Saints really need to address their playmaker situation and what
1: are they doing with michael thomas
0: i'm not sure i mm-hmm. forgot michael thomas is back there too <laughs> but you still need that to i mean it, you can't have too many
1: no and and his situation is now a pretty weird one because of a how he's been um interacting with the organization b because of the way that injury has been has progressed like he's it's not necessarily a guy you can rely on as that number one going forward anyway um i'm probably moving
0: on i'm probably trying to find someone that wants to take Michael Thomas at this point Thomas is really good too but at the same time yeah he was good with Teddy Bridgewater as well but is he just he's just a better fit for the way they ran offense with Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater and I don't think you're going to have those types I think Thomas might be slightly less valuable for the Saints coming back even though he's by far their best receiver and with all the the weird stuff the way it's happened yeah I'm, I'm kind of assuming they can move on from Thomas get Traylon Burks in there. Size, speed, and the whole deal be great. Be a good fit there, as long as they have a QB. Yeah, which is probably pretty significant. Yeah, very significant. Talked about the Eagles at 19. I got the Steelers at 20 going Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. You already said, uh, so this is one of Renner's Renner's great lines from the draft guide. Penning's tape at Northern Iowa looks like someone's dad subbed into a Pop Warner game. Kind of sums him up. Yeah. He's just tossing around FCS dudes. That's very Pittsburgh. The Steelers love that. It's very Pittsburgh. <laughs> love a guy that tosses around FCS dudes. His
1: his play style is very, like, throwback. You know, it's very, like, 1980s, old school. You know when you watch, like, an old game, an old, old game? Like, every single play is a penalty now. Right? Every All of them. There's not a single play that goes by where a flag now wouldn't be thrown for something. Uh, that's kind of the way Trevor Penning plays. And it feels like he's a guy that's gonna incur a lot of penalties because of that. But NFL people love that attitude in the offensive line. You know, you always hear that like needs to play mean or nasty. Nasty's yeah. the word they use a lot, right? Gotta play nasty. Trevor Penning absolutely plays nasty to the point where you're like, this doesn't necessarily feel like it's helpful. You know? Like, at some point, yeah. you're playing too nasty, and it's not really helping anybody. You're incurring 15-yard penalties. You're tossing edge rushers into your quarterback's ankles. Like, you're doing a bunch of things that are not really progressing the ball down the field. I'm here. assuming he's not going to do that again, what he did
0: at the senior ball. Really? Because he did it a bunch of times at the senior ball. I would hope that he's not going to do that. Throwing, because he was trying to make a point, <laughs> I hope, at the senior <laughs> ball. Look try- at me. He was trying to start a fight basically every rep. He's the dad in the Pop Warner game. Yeah. Like a crazy dad who's trying to fight kids. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's what he is. That's perfect for, for, for the Steelers. It's definitely something that NFL people love. I'm
1: just wondering how useful it is generally. Yeah, I agree. All
0: right, let's go 21. New England Patriots take wide receiver Chris Olave out of Ohio State. Ooh. 22, the Raiders take Andrew Booth, the cornerback out of Clemson. Arizona Cardinals at 23 go Edge. Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. And then the Cowboys at 24... Back to Georgia, Devontae Wyatt, the interior defensive lineman. I do like this Olave fit to the Patriots. He's going at 21 here. I, he's going to run fast. Yeah. He's going to run sub 4-4, four four, I believe, uh, faster than Garrett Wilson. He might ju- – I don't know if people know that – think he's faster than Garrett Wilson or no, if they're think, just going to no, wait.
1: I think – I've certainly heard the expectation that that will be the case.
0: Yeah. Okay, I, but I don't know if, again, um, our friend Josh Norris talks about this all the time. Is this, don't double count speed, right? If you know that Chris Olave is faster than Garrett Wilson, mm-hmm. is that factored into people's evaluation right now where Wilson's generally ahead of Olave? Or are you going to see Olave is going to run 4.38 or something? Wilson's going to run 4.48 or whatever, and you're just going to flip them at the end of this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you know, like Olave's is fast. And I describe him as that Z receiver, right? The guy that's going to be off the line of scrimmage, moving a little bit. He's going to get open at all levels of the field. And I think that would be great for New England. But I'm wondering if this week people look at him as this good route runner who gets open and then all, he's going to run 4-3 something. It's like, well, maybe he's even better than we thought. Even though he's always been that guy. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be silly. But it's yeah. possible. <laughs> to me,
1: the 40 times you don't need like change... Things like that when one of two things happens one a guy like sauce Gardner, who you're like i mean he's a sort of he's probably not fast and maybe he runs in the four fives and his borderline somewhere you know borderline past that threshold where you need the corner to be if you're even going to consider him if he shows up and suddenly runs like a you know for a high four or three or a low four four like that i think completely changes what you thought about his speed you knew he was good but you had questions about his speed. All of a sudden, those questions are gone. So he's different, right? And then the other situation is when a guy shows up and runs something that's so fast that it's it's like game changing speed. Like you, you know, you knew he was fast, but all of a sudden, like there is a difference between four two five and four three five. They're both they're both blazing fast, but there are other NFL people that run four three five. There aren't other NFL people generally that run four two five. It is game-changing speed. It busts angles. It means you are definitely faster than anybody you're lining up from. Um, and if you can harness that, like if you can just make sure the guy knows how to defeat contact, that's, that's important. So to me, those are basically the only two scenarios where
0: the 40 times should change anything. Yeah, so <clears throat> we'll see. We'll see with the Lave this week. I like the fifth of the Patriots. Uh, booth to the Raiders, the corner from Clemson. Uh, I didn't have a pick that I loved here for the Raiders. I think Booth, you know, he's a, he's on, he's 18 on our big board, so I think the value's fine. Moves really well. Um, they have uh, Casey Hayward is a free agent. They've got a new system and the whole deal. So I think they've been, they've needed secondary depth for a while. Um, even though you got better play defensively than maybe I expected from the Raiders, you still have that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the division. You still have Herbert and the Chargers, the Broncos, and all those receivers. The Raiders, I think, should be building their team like you always make that, you know, here's how the Packers handled Randy Moss. They drafted three corners. I think the Raiders need to continue to build that that defense from back to front and find as many people that can, that can cover, uh, you know, that can, that can hang with all the receivers in the passing attacks that they need to handle in that division.
1: Yeah, the Raiders, for a team that was pretty good this year and have a lot of decent pieces, they also have a lot of holes. Like, they they still need most of an offensive line, they still need most of a secondary and most of a defense, to be honest. They, they could go in a lot of different directions. And, yeah, Andrew Bruce is certainly one of the ways they could go who makes sense.
0: So I saw a lot of healthy dialogue on the uh, Twitter machine over the last couple of days about Jordan Davis, the big interior defensive lineman from Georgia. I didn't put him in the first round. Um, I don't know if I'm shying away too much from the lack of snap counts, the lack of pass rush. Um, even Eric Eager coming around to the point that uh, a big nose tackle that can help on early downs is important and effective, but this would be the the Jordan the Jordan Davis range, right? Uh, a lot of people like him to the Chargers at 17. I've always th- thought that that was a great fit. I didn't go that route this time. I think the Cowboys could go that route, um, but I went with his running mate Devontae Wyatt, who is just a completely different player, faster, dynamic, explosive. You don't want him taking on double teams at the point of attack. But I'm intrigued by the Cowboys adding a pass rusher like Wyatt on the interior to go with DeMarcus Lawrence and Micah, and Micah Parsons. Randy Gregory hits free agency, but if the Cowboys keep that versatile pass rush, I think that might be the way to go. So I like the Wyatt fit to the Cowboys, even though Jordan Davis would fit that very specific need of early, round, uh, early, early down run defense that the Cowboys have kind of had an issue with for years.
1: Yeah, the the Jordan Davis thing is interesting because it's about it's what he can be, not what he is right now or what he has been in college necessarily. It's so the, when you have a guy like that who is giant, monstrous, the run defending aspect of his game is fairly unquestioned. the The issue is, what, can he be more than that? And the upside to a guy like that is like a Vita Vea, right? So Vita Vea is this monstrous, unstoppable mountain of a human being who also, it turns out, can now rush the passer as well, and he's now an all-pro caliber player because of it. But, I mean, I guess the down, the the, sort of the other end of the spectrum is he's like a Derrick Brown, right? Where the one thing we were sure about Derek Brown is that guy is a dominant run defender. He'll stuff the run, but can he rush the passer? Now we're, what, two years into his career, and we're not actually sure he can do either. So... Those are the sort of two ends of the spectrum. And again, with all these things, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. So now you have to ask yourself, how valuable is a guy that is a very good run defender, built massively, but doesn't really bring anything as a pass rusher? You know, how valuable is that defending the run aspect? Which it turns out is probably more valuable than people were giving it credit
0: for for a while. Even the nerds are coming around to that. So the nerds are coming back to uh, football, old-school football thinking... There probably is some value in that, even though you're going to see fewer snaps.
1: Right, right. but it's it's how much value, right? And if you're going to draft a guy in the first round or high in the first round, you know if he's a Sean Robinson or Christian Wilkins or you know one of these types of players, is that enough for yeah. you to draft him that high? Particularly relative to, you know, what else you could have, which is potentially the teammate that is faster. Will make more of an impact on passing downs, which is still, I think, more important than the run defending thing.
0: Yeah, the other part. So the other part of this this discussion is not is it is it valuable in a vacuum. It's also where can you find these players, right? I wrote an article a couple uh, years ago about finding these players on day three, finding good interior run defenders on day three. The Greg Gaines of the world from the Rams, and right. those guys are available on day three. So my team-building strategy, not that I would never take a Jordan Davis in the first round. I might. I would take him in the second round if he was available. But I also think you can find those types of players on day three, the, the Folo Fatakasis of the world. You can find a Jordan Davis skill set probably on day three. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the list of elite
1: run defense grades this year from interior defenders, it isn't. By and large, those two, you know, the the run stuffing specialists, like the best run defense grade in the NFL was Cameron Hayward, who is a do everything type of player. Aaron Donald was number two, who's the prototype of that pass rushing three technique type of guy. Christian Wilkins, number three. Al Woods, who's like 127 years old as a nose tackle. Um, Zach Sealer from the Dolphins. Harrison Phillips is that type of player. But Harrison Phillips was drafted in the third round, not the first round. Um, Ashon Robinson is next, and again, similar story, right? Ashon Robinson was a second-round guy, not a guy you're drafting in the middle of the first round. So, you can definitely look at that and say, I don't know, if, I don't know if that. Unless you can prove to me, or at least you believe, that he's going to add this layer of pass-rushing impact to his game, I'm not sure I see the justification for a first-round selection for a guy
0: like Jordan Davis. Yeah, I get it. Speaking of justification, I got to make one for Roger McCrary and his little T-Rex arms. Okay. The Auburn cornerback who was probably a first-round player for a lot of people until he showed up at the senior bowl and got measured with 29 and a quarter inch arms. He's off the board. Off the board. Get him out of here. We even moved him down. Come on, Renner.
1: are very short arms though.
0: That's really short. Really yeah. short. <laughs> <laughs> 29 and a quarter. You might as well have no arms. No arms. He's got no arms. I mean, look, it's really hard to intercept a pass like that. We get the no-armed corner. But the rest of what he does is good. How did he break up all those passes what with is, no arms? So what's the
1: measurement it, from palm to – I think it's armpit. To, to armpit, armpit, but to palm, like yeah. – or to, to tip, fingertip. Because that's, like, I definitely have longer arms than that. Yeah. It's really short arms.
0: Really short <laughs> It is so <laughs> – I'm um, so I'm going I'm looking at the data right okay this is, this is me look I, those are data points that matter okay I'm uh, combined data points do matter because they're data points right and you can do stuff historically to, Wait, to so see how the important reason
1: they are. the re- there's multiple reasons why arm length actually matters for a cornerback one if you have any shot whatsoever of jamming a guy at the line of scrimmage if that guy's arms are like six inches longer than yours how are you supposed to hit him in the chest because he can like, you do that and he does that, you're six inches away from making contact with him. You've no shot. Yeah. So that's an important part. Two, obviously at the catch point, if he's got like an extra six inches of reach, then you have you have a hell of a time trying to make a play on the ball when it's in the air and the two of you are challenging for it. Like there's just – there are a bunch of different ways where that lack of length relative to the guy you're trying to cover is actually really problematic. And that hand fighting that they use as a buzzword during broadcasts and stuff – it's kind of what that is, and it's not everything. That
0: arm length, though, a lot of it is. That's, but that's not
1: extending or anything like that. That's it is a lot of it. Like you, you are getting into that guy's shoulder pads, his jersey, his chest plate, all of these things. And if he, ha- if you can't get to the end of his arm, it's important.
0: Yeah. Not look. I, I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm the Bills at 25 here, and I'm saying the way the Bills play football. I think McCreary could be a, a, a good fit there still because yeah. they're not going to play as much press man and all that stuff. If I'm, if I'm New England and I'm playing or the, what the Dolphins do or whatever, I'm not looking at McCreary the same way. That does matter.
1: Because the hand-fighting thing from a cornerback perspective is you're trying to get to his pads, right? Yep. The, ha- the hand-fighting aspect of it is he's trying to stop you doing that by slapping your hand down and you know, getting away from you, that kind of thing. But your role— You're generally— Yeah, yeah, but you're in a phone booth when you're doing that. Well, sort of. You're running side by side with him in phase, but you're then trying to get your hand onto his shoulder to stop him getting past you. If every time you're doing that, he's putting his arm out as well, and you can't get to the end of it because he's got longer arms than you are, that's an issue. And it might not be an issue if there's only an inch or two in it, but 29 and a quarter
0: inch no, I know. That's, I get it. Like, sure. I never. I don't have the hand fighting experience. I usually just run by you, mm-hmm. you know, when I need to. But um, <clears throat> with McCrary and the Bills, they need a number two corner. All right. To uh, they play a lot of zone. Um, not that you don't need length. Uh, you need length playing zone. I think playing, you know, spot drop type of zone, length helps a ton because you, that you get your hands on stuff. But I'm saying the catch point stuff. I'm less worried about that with McCrary because I did. I had to look up a number. To make sure I'm not crazy, so I looked up every college prospect. Because this is what pffiq does, I can look up every college prospect that's played in the NFL since 2015, for, 2014. And as far as forced incompletion rate, Roger McCreary is number eight out of 192 prospects that have played in college. Their college numbers, but when they, but they also went on to play in the NFL. So guys that are NFL caliber players, and he did this in the SEC, right? You got. It. He, in the SEC. Mm. He did it in the SEC West. <laughs> right? He did this face in Alabama. He did this face in LSU, including 2019 LSU. He did this face in Traylon Burks. Has a great rep on Burks, you know, covering him on a slant in the slot. So I think McCreary's production, for me, trumps the fact that he has no arms. Zero arms. No arms. And um, I'm going to make a play for him. Make a play for him here hmm. at 25 for the Bills. I,
1: yeah, the catch point stuff... It's still an issue, but you can get around it if you learn and you're good at playing through the receiver's arms. Like, you see that all the time where, ideally, you make a play on the ball and your hand hits the ball, deflects it away, and the receiver never has a shot at it. Alternatively, there's a lot of times where, as a corner, you're not going to be in the best position because the receiver gets a chance to react first and you have to basically react to the receiver. And you see all the time, like, the technique when those guys catch the ball is for your arm to go straight up the middle and just, like, blast, you know, separate their arms. And a lot of the time that works, and you break the ball. Then you see – then you get plays like Odell Beckham makes in the Super Bowl where sometimes, like, if that guy is good enough, you separate his hands, it doesn't matter. Like, each hand is just glue. Then the ball stays there. Like, that's why playing through the hands of the receiver isn't as good as actually making a play on the ball in the first place because there are times where the receiver is just good enough that he can make a play on it anyway. But – you will make a lot of forced incompletions. You will make a lot of pass breakups if you're able to play through the hands of the receivers, even with your little T-Rex arms.
0: No arms. Below T-Rex arms. Riley Reef was the big T-Rex arms, like, meme guy, right? Years yeah. Ago. Look at him. He's been an average tackle. <laughs> he could still do Think it. Think how good he'd be if he didn't have T-Rex arms. All I know is Joe Thomas' arm length ranges between 32 and 35 inches. So how accurate could these be? What? Maybe he got him stretched out. Right? we've had a lot. We've had about a month since the senior Bowl. We're gonna get the uh, the Kenny Pickett hand finally. We're gonna find out. Presumably, we'll see if he
1: you can't dodge it at the combine as well. Maybe he just, just a, goes the entire. Just goes he, does a Lamar Jackson on it, and it's like my hands are what they are. You're not gonna find out the number. If you can opt out of the forty, why can't you hop out? Hop uh opt out of because Lamar hands. opted out of the 40 knowing that nobody had any concerns with it you can't opt out of the thing that everybody thinks you're terrible at sure you can. <laughs> I'm just, just not going to run the 40 because it's a 5-8
0: we talked about Traylon Burks so like oh just skip the agility drills run 4-3 and then skip the agility drills and everybody thinks you're awesome
1: no if the one like concern everybody has about you is this one thing you can't skip that the one thing the players day. are
0: taking the power back man they're going to do whatever they want then he
1: just won't get drafted until the third round
0: maybe Double-jointed, though. Can't he's be still like, double-jointed. That was the excuse last time. Yeah, but he's been, he's, they've been working on it. They've <laughs> been working on his double-jointedness? Yeah. They've, I don't
1: know what they've been doing, but they've been, you know, whatever the Brandon Allen thing was, they've been stretching it, I'm working little, the joints.
0: I am old school, and uh, what I would do is if you have concerns about a guy's hand size affecting velocity yeah. and or his ability to throw the ball in the rain or whatever, maybe just test him throwing the ball. In the rain? In the rain. Get one of those Hollywood rain machines? And, you know, they've got these things called radar guns. If if you're really worried about his velocity based off his hand size. When, again, Super Bowl champion old friend Zach Robinson said, it's not necessarily that stuff. It's quick game, right? To be able to catch and throw, catch and get a grip on the ball and throw. A lot of times that's an issue. So take him through all the tests where hand size might be an issue. Go to... uh go to antarctica throw the ball around a little bit go to antarctica that's what i would i would have my pro day in it, in antarctica prove you can cut the wind right huh there might be a better spot than antarctica yeah. i many i would think i'm still waiting for our first listener from antarctica i assume somebody's going to be down there on an expedition or something and uh, they've got like with, uh, listening.
1: like permanent scientific Research centers. I don't know what the term. is. There kind of has to be is.
0: somebody posted up down there. Yeah, that that listens to us. Listens to needs a lot of podcasts. We to had get somebody at like the very southern tip of South America, right, that reached out and said, "Yeah, hey, I'm close. I'm close right. to Antarctica, but still not there, though. You know, you're not uh, officially there
1: unless you take. I think a there's a lot of people on those things. Those research. I don't know what the somebody must listen centers. to the PFF NFL podcast. I mean, unless they've all there. been taken out by the whatever that creature was from the thing. You remember that
0: movie? Ah, uh, yeah. It's possible. I haven't checked it. I hope we recently. didn't lose some listeners to the thing. That would be very sad. Yeah. That would be the next charity event. You think? Off the rails here. Going off the rails. All right, let's wrap it up here. Tennessee Titans at 26. Nicobe Dean, linebacker, another Georgia player. Tampa Bay Bucs at 27. Johan Dotson, Penn State wide receiver. Packers at 28. Edge defender Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. Miami Dolphins at number 29. I put guard slash tackle Kenyon Green. Hmm. From Texas A&M. Might try him a tackle. We'll see. Well, if you keep him a tackle, then you, uh,
1: well, no, you still don't have the, the Jim Nagy thing of Zion Johnson being the first interior off the board.
0: He'd be the first guard off the board, though. I can't believe <coughs> Nagy's talking up a senior bowl player. That no, matter. right? I don't, uh, I mean, out of character. Nagy could be right. It's fine.
1: I mean, the, we'll the interesting part about it, though, is that if it's true and if that is the case, then it requires both those things happening, right? It requires Johnson's stock going up relative to certainly where we have him, but also Linderbaum's stock going down.
0: Like I don't think I don't think I could see Linderbaum going in the twenties though. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think Johnson's stock goes up to the point where he just leapfrogs Linderbaum without everybody souring on Linderbaum a
0: little bit. But if Johnson goes that would remind me um Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College, ironically, a couple years ago. He was a guy, I think we had him in the second round and there was late first round rumors. He went at like fourteen to the Falcons. You know, he wasn't he wasn't Quentin Nelson. Everybody knew Quentin Nelson was going in the top 10. He was generational guard. Uh, but, but Lindstrom went at 14, which I think was way higher than people anticipated. That's what it would t- It's not crazy to say Zion Johnson's going to go in the teens somewhere when he started from a little bit lower. But I think that's, that's kind of what Nagy's hinting at with that. Um, just to round it out to 30 Kansas City Chiefs, Kair Elam, the corner. Big need there for the Chiefs. Uh, Zion Johnson, who we mentioned, he's going to go 31 to the Bengals, a guard out of Boston College. And then the Lions, as we discussed earlier, they're going QB Sam Howell because I'm just like everyone else, taking a QB at 32 for the Lions. Mm. Any of these picks, anything uh, stand out here as we round out my mock draft here?
1: I mean, the Sam Howell one is really interesting given where he is on our big board. You know, that Austin talked up. You can make excuses for a lot of these guys, but he's the one where the excuses make the most sense, or you can maybe rephrase them as explanations for why he didn't have the best season a year ago and cement himself as a number one overall pick. Like, there were a few players headed into the college season that had a real shot of being drafted number one overall, and, you know, Malik Willis is one, Sam Howell was one, Spencer Rattler was another. That one didn't go so well. But each one of these guys, none of them had the kind of season that locked that up and in fact everybody kind of took a step backwards relative to where they were expected to go but Howell is the one guy where when you lay out the reasons or the explanations the justifications it makes sense you can kind of explain that away and say all right maybe maybe we should start thinking about him more like the player that was going to go in the top five somewhere and you know accept that there are a lot of things that are outside of a quarterback's control that don't necessarily reflect what he can be. And if we improve his situation in the NFL, he becomes that guy again. And if they get, if they get that player at 32 overall, I mean, that's potentially
0: game-changing for them. It's interesting to me, if you remember the 2019 draft class was Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins. There was far more top half of the first-round discussion for Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins. Than all the QBs in this class. If you so Kyler, we I think everybody knew was going to go number one, but Daniel Jones for us felt like a bit of a stretch. I, I don't know. He goes six overall. Was were we right? Were the Giants right? I mean, he's been a serviceable starter, right? Dwayne Haskins has not. But both of those guys went in the top fifteen as prospects. I don't, I think they're middle of the pack, maybe in this class. I just still don't know who's number one. But I also don't know if Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins was definitely a better prospect than Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, or any of these guys. So that's what's interesting to me. There's more of them this year, so maybe that's why there's less top half of the first round hype. Um, I think we'll have, for whatever reason, somebody will emerge this week, because this is where all the news happens, right? This is what happens this week in Indianapolis. People are at St. Elmo's. People are at... Prime, we're just giving free advertising for all the Indianapolis spots. Hmm. This is where the agents are talking, front office people are talking, people are getting drunk, giving away their draft boards. Like all that stuff's happening in Indianapolis. And uh, the reporters, they're like, they're like a little slimy sometimes. The reporters are just making their way through the crowds talking to people, aren't they? Yeah. The, not they Doug can. Hyde. Not our own no. Doug Hyde or anything, but some of the others. Cousin Doug. Would Cousin never, Doug. Would never. I can't wait to see Cousin Doug. This week it's going to be great. Um, Anyway, there'll be some. There'll be more. So this is what you would do. Where do you think ultimately
1: the first quarterback gets taken? How high? Oh man, you
0: have one at number twelve. I have twelve with the Vikings. I really don't think the Vikings go QB. I think, I think the Washington. um, Sorry, let me go through it. I mean, Washington picks 11. I don't think Washington drafts that high. Denver I don't, I don't. picks nine. Uh, Texans at three, I'd say no. Right. The Panthers at six, I say no. Yeah, we don't think they'll have that draft pick. So, so the Broncos at nine, if, if Rodgers falls through, I'd say the Broncos at nine, yes. I could see them having somebody. I think Washington goes the veteran route, so no. I think the Vikings, no. But I think it's nine with the Broncos, and then after that, 18 with the Saints. I think those are the two. And then 20 with the Steelers. I think those are the ones that are most in play. And if I was forced to pick who those guys are, I have not a clue. Like, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I do think see the though, Saints liking Matt Corral. I, do think I could see the Steelers like Malik Willis, I think. You know?
1: I do think that ultimately somebody is going to end up going in the top ten just because of the nature of quarterbacks and how important they are, I don't think we're going to see. Like, even, you know, we go back to that EJ Manuel class that was like an absolute joke of a quarterback class. It was the worst quarterback class that's been around in years and years since. Even in that year, like, EJ still went at, like, number 16 or something. Like, he still went midway through the first round in a class where everybody agreed there was no viable
0: quarterback that year. He did have... For him, a breakout year at Florida State in a good senior bowl. Yeah. So, like, he had that momentum into the offseason coming. Right now, who has momentum? Like, none of them even have momentum coming out of the senior bowl, yeah. other than, like, Malik Willis to right. 20. Malik Willis did a bit.
1: Sure. The but, like, again, the, the fact that EJ Manuel was able to get propelled as high as 16 in a group where there was a pretty strong consensus that none of these quarterbacks will be good is suggesting me that now, when quarterbacks are more important
0: than ever, one of these guys is going to go in the top 10. All right, fair. Then I think it's the Broncos. Yeah, that would be that team. Anything else in this group here? Uh, the Bucks. I struggled with their pick. Um, we just did a daily today. Ali Marpet retires, so they've got some offensive line concerns. They could, they could go offensive line now. I think yep. they might have to consider that maybe at 27. I don't know what they're thinking at quarterback in Tampa Bay. So that's an issue. Packers at 28. I went with Jermaine Johnson just because they, they do have Rashawn Gary who broke out, but they, you know, the Smiths are getting older and or, you know, out of, you know with one year left on their respective contracts. So, you know, getting that power edge to develop for next year, I think is a good fit for the Packers. Dolphins going O-line. I don't think that's necessarily a slam dunk, but I think the value for Kenyon Green fits there for the Dolphins. I like the Chiefs going corner. I think there's a couple corner options there. If Jermaine Johnson's there for the Chiefs at 30, which I don't think is viable, he's probably top 15 or 20 after a dominant senior bowl. But Elam, I think, would be nice for the for the Chiefs, which is why I picked it, you know, because it was my picks. Mm. So I, I think it's a perfect mock. No. Oh. Just to wrap it up. Okay. It's pretty perfect. It's what I would do. Yeah. So it's good. Except that one time where you didn't do what you would do. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I got bullied yeah. in my own head. <laughs> didn't want to deal with it path of least resistance that's how real gms do it yeah right They're like oh, i want to make i want to pick this one guy but i just don't want to get dragged on social so i'm just going to pick the safer guy right but they they if they, they
1: get dragged too hard they can get fired and stuff you True. you just didn't want to have
0: people whinging at you yeah it's pretty weak could have just muted the conversation yeah in hindsight uh-huh all right let me redo it stingley to the jets no too late. Four. it changes everything stingley to the jets Anyway, I had a lot of fun breaking down the mock draft. Um, programming notes, right? So we're going to have this week, a little inside baseball here. We're going to pre-record, as in record like in a minute here, hmm. the, uh, what is it called? Thursday. Fixing Your Team in Five Minutes. We're going to we're going to round out the AFC. Yeah. That episode is going to drop sometime this week. Thursday. TBD. Well, if you can fill the Wednesday show. We want that to be the Thursday show? Yeah. So Thursday we're going to do... Fixing the AFC West and the AFC South, how hard could it be? No, we already did the South. AFC West and AFC North, which is pretty difficult. Fixing all those teams. That's going to come out Thursday. Wednesday, no idea how it's going to be put together. Correct. Uh, based off the, the combine. But Sam's going to the combine. On the media side, I'm going to the combine. On our team side, meeting with all of our team clients. But we'll figure out how to uh, stitch together the PFF NFL daily and uh, – in the NFL in the podcast here sound good yeah all right well leave your feedback on the mock of course I want to hear all of it and then go check out the charity the charity battles here it's not 28 to 3 just yet but I'm, I'm working from behind here my pins tweet at pff underscore Steve your pins tweet at pff underscore Sam you're fighting for the kids I'm fighting for the addicted men and we're just gonna battle it out until you're doing TikToks for Jackson, uh, Jackson Mahomes TikToks, or I'm doing my combine drills, mm. so go check those out. We appreciate everybody that's been a part of those. You got anything else? No. I keep throwing to you, and you got nothing got we're we're ready done. to wrap it up. The show's over, wrap it all right. Leave if we Stop if we're talking. wearing the same thing on Thursday, yeah, it's because we're recording now, fixing your team in five minutes, yeah. I just Transparency's huge here on the BFF NFL Podcast. It's the longest outro ever. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday.